Hi guys, it's Ellis, and this is the Animal Excellency Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about commensalism. We're going to continue our three-part series about symbiotic relationships. The first part came out last week, and that was about parasitism. And the second part is coming out, and it is about commensalism, and that is today's topic. All right. It is easy to know and show that an organism benefits or suffers. Parasites cause their hosts to suffer. Mutual relationships result in both organisms benefiting. However, it can be surprisingly difficult to prove that a relationship has no effect on one organism at all whatsoever. Many relationships defined as commensalism involve foracy. Foracy is the transportation of one animal as a passenger of another. The larvae of some midge flies, for example, or instance, attach themselves to the scales of some Amazonian catfishes. They are transported by these fishes to better feeding areas. By being transported, the flies can be able to reach new areas that they would not be able to reach on their own if they tried to fly there. This is a perfect example of commensalism. One organism, the flies, benefits, while the other organism, the catfish, is unaffected. Whales and barnacles also are a good example of phoretic commensalism, which is a term to describe commensalism that is used um, to transport one organism um, uh, while another organism is being um, transferred. Or if another organism is, you know, being transported by another organism. Yeah. As a passenger. So whales and barnacles are a good example. Whales carry barnacles wherever they go, and they give them a free ride. So that's a plus. Also, whenever a whale swims through food-rich waters, the barnacles benefit gaining a meal. So they, get, they benefit. The whale benefits as well by getting a meal from the food-rich waters, but it is unaffected by the barnacle. For this to have to be a relationship, both animals have to be involved and affected or unaffected, or, neg or negatively affected, but they have to be affected, period. Which is why this symbiotic relationship is classified as, as um, <clears throat> this specific symbiotic relationship is classified as phoretic um, uh, commensalism. Another example of this symbiotic relationship is... Um, also happens in the ocean as well. Whales and barnacles, it happens in the ocean. Um, but this also happens in the ocean. White-fronted terns are medium-sized birds that feed on fish. During their breeding season, these birds will follow hunting pods of Hector's dolphins. And that is a species of dolphin that is only found in New Zealand's waters. By following the dolphins, the terns know where the fish are, giving them access to a potential meal. However, since the fish only follow the dolphins during breeding season, this symbiotic relationship is known as facultative commensalism. Since both species can survive on their own, their relationship is facultative. So it is commensalism, but under commensalism, there are many different um, um, subgroups, facultative, um, phoretic, like we covered before. But this one is facultative because 
It is not all the time, and the species can survive on their own. White-fronted terns and Hector's dolphins are not the only species to have this type of facultative commensalism relationship. Cape gannets, a species of large seabird, and long-beaked common dolphins, a species of dolphin, also um, experience this relationship. Long-beaked common dolphins, just to give you a little background, I gave you background on the Cape Gannet, but I forgot to give it to you on the long-beaked common dolphin, is a species of dolphin that prefers coastal areas in tropical and warmer temperate oceans. Now, once again, this relationship between the Cape Gannets and the long-beaked common dolphins is a facultative commensalism relationship, and I'll explain why. Both of these species follow the annual migration of the sardines, but for the young gannets, this is their first experience. They leave their nests with a 10-day reserve of fat, which is supposed to hold them until they learn how to hunt. Gannets feed in flocks, and the way they catch fish and hunt is incredibly extraordinary. They perform spectacular plunge dives, launching from midair to seize individual fishes with their dagger-like bills, snaring a meal with efficiency. If you see it, oh, you should look it up, most definitely. If you see a gannet, uh, not specifically a Cape Gannet, but I just said Cape Gannet because these are the ones in this relationship, but Gannets in particular, if you look up how they feed in flocks, it is spectacular to see. It's even better to see in the wild, but that's rare. All right, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. Come back next time to learn about the last part of our three-part symbiosis relationship series. Get ready for mutualism. Be sure to comment, rate, and subscribe. I'm Ellis, and this is the Animal Excellency Podcast. See you next time.